Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Excited to be here. Uh, man, I'm really pumped about this series we're doing. And it's all about Jesus, right? And that's what it's going to be tonight. Tonight, it's going to be all about Jesus. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump in to what's a bunch of stuff I have to say. So, Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to live the perfect life, to be the example for us, but not only to be the example, but to be the substitute, that, that he would die on the cross in our place and I pray that this message tonight truly would glorify you, that nothing that happens tonight would distract from your glory, that we would all walk away with a deeper experience and a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation for who you are, Jesus. Exalt your name. Amen. So the entire story of the Bible is about one person. Guess who? Jesus, okay? Every hero in the Old Testament, name out some, shout out some heroes in the Old Testament. David, Moses, Abraham, Father Abraham, Joseph, Isaac, okay, Joshua. Okay, we got a lot of them. One common theme about all the heroes of the Old Testament is theologians call them a type of Christ, okay? Not meaning they are Christ, but means that something that they do is a foreshadowing of who Jesus is going to be. And the Bible is, was put together, it's 66 books, written over the course of 1,500 years, give or take, and it has 40 different human authors, one author that inspired them all, and one theme, and that theme is God's pursuit, God's reckless pursuit of people and desire to redeem them through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And some theologians call it the scarlet thread that runs through every story of scripture. I actually have a little kid's Bible that's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And we'll read about Daniel in the lion's den. And then it'll talk about how this, something in that story was actually pointing to Jesus. And they have a little tagline on the, on the Jesus Storybook Bible. Evelyn loves it. She loves Daniel in the lion's den. She wants me to read it to her over and over again. But on the tagline on that Bible says, Every story whispers his name. And so as the, when I discovered this, it changed the way I read the Bible. Because everything about the Old Testament was getting ready to, for this, this climactic event of Jesus stepping onto the scene, Jesus coming, Jesus living, Jesus dying, Jesus rising from the dead, and Jesus instituting a new way to know God for humanity. And it's just like this epic story that we all find ourselves in, and it is a story of humanity, and it's the story of your life. It's a story, you have a choice about how you're going to respond to Jesus. Every person needs to choose how they're going to respond to Jesus. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, don't you know that from every town and every village in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. So from every text in scripture, there is a road toward the great metropolis, Christ. And my dear brother, your business is, when you get to the text, to say, now what is the road to Christ? I've never found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it. 
And if ever I find one, I will go over hedge and ditch, but I will get to my, to my master. For the sermon cannot do any good unless there is Christ in it. I love that. He went on to encourage these preachers. Uh, he said this, no Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Amen? Every time you come to challenge, I hope, I pray, and I tell the guest speakers, tell us about Jesus. Because we never get tired of hearing about Jesus. Jesus is kind of a big deal, if you haven't noticed. And I found this one story about Jesus actually starting his earthly ministry. And we're going to check it out together. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And I was blown away studying this about how many implications there are about who Jesus is and about how that applies to our lives. So let's read it together. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have different elements of different ways of looking at this passage and this story, some more on the angle of John the Baptist, some just straight up telling the story like this. Um, but it is an amazing, significant passage of scripture that I want to just explain to you. The first thing, I want you guys to get what's happening here. Imagine you were sitting on the bank of the Jordan River and you saw Jesus getting baptized and all of a sudden, like this, this dove that you somehow knew was the Holy Spirit. That, like this weird dove, <laughs> this crazy looking dove comes down and the, the skies open up and then you hear a voice from heaven. This is my son of whom I'm well pleased. Could you ever doubt that something was up with this Jesus guy <laughs> again? Could you ever doubt that there's something special about this? But a lot of people that saw that happen they ended up having doubts. And I, I think that's interesting. But this is an example of the first, one of the first times in the Bible that God shows us the Trinity. He shows us he, who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So one God, three persons. Clear as mud? You got it? Okay. There's, there's so many mysteries in the Bible. This is one of them. And, and if you have a perfect explanation for this, then trust me, never mind. You don't. You don't have a perfect explanation of this. It's impossible to perfectly explain how it could be one God, but three persons. If I covered up my hand like this, you can see that I have three fingers, right? And they're all connected to my hand. But what if you didn't know anything about a hand? you wouldn't know how they were connected, okay? And so there's some mysteries in the Bible that are true. The Bible will say this is true, and it'll say this is true. And in our human understanding, we have no way of reconciling that, those two realities. But the good thing is, 
is that you're not God, okay? <laughs> and the other thing about it is, would you really want a God that you in your finite mind could fully comprehend? Because a God that is worth, that are baffling your mind is a God that I think is worth worshiping. God is worthy. And God, when you come across something in scripture you don't understand, your first, your first thing you should go to is not skepticism. It should be praise. It should be praise you, God, that there is something in here that is like beyond, above and beyond me. And there's so many realities like that in the Bible. I love, now this is not a, a cop-out, an excuse to not study or not to really dig into the Bible, because there's so much of the Bible that you can know, that you can understand. But as you're studying the Bible, I encourage you, the Bible, you can never out, outgrow the Bible. You can never study the Bible so hard that you're just like, I know it all. I feel like I'm just starting. I've been studying it 15 years, and I feel like I'm just starting to see things in it that are just like blowing my mind. So I want to challenge you, just make that a lifetime look into um, what, what the Bible says about God, about Jesus, about your life. From this one story, we learn seven things about Jesus, about who Jesus is. And I'm only going to tell you three of them tonight, okay? I'm only going to tell you three. There's seven, at least seven. Um, and so this is going to be a little bit meaty, okay? My wife is trying to get me on a vegan diet, and uh, it's, it's, it's working. But anytime I, I get some meat, I'm like, oh, this is good. So hopefully this will be a little more meaty than normal. So the first thing I see in this passage is Jesus is the new exodus, Jesus is the new Exodus. Anyone remember the Old Testament when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt? You remember when, how they were enslaved in captivity for years and years and years. And God called a guy named Moses. And put, there's all sorts of, it's a crazy story. If you want to read about it, I recommend a book. Guess what book? Exodus, okay? It's the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and it tells all about how God led his people from slavery to freedom. And Jesus is the new Exodus. Jesus wants to take you from slavery to freedom. Jesus wants to take all people from slavery to to freedom. John the Baptist was kind of like the MC for Jesus. He was the opening act. He was the guy that was preparing the way for the Lord. Um, and it, they prophesied about him. Isaiah 43, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This was actually a prophetic text that, about the return of Israel from exile. So this, the, the context of that passage, which was quoted in context right before Jesus' baptism, was when the Israelites were in exile, this was a prophetic text that was giving them hope. Now, what they didn't know, the Israelites didn't know, is that the new exodus would not be physical. It would be spiritual. And this is an amazing thing. Do you remember when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea? This is an amazing story. You should go out read it. It's in Exodus. Okay, and God parts the Red Sea for them. What happens in this story, this baptism story of Jesus? The skies open up. And, God, and commentaries that I've read said that is actually an allusion to what God did. When God opened the Red Sea, 
God actually, when, when God opened the sky, he was alluding back to when God opened the Red Sea so the Israelites could come through. And this time, God, the kingdom of God, is coming to earth. This time, there is a new way to relate to God. I think that just boggles my mind. The kingdom of God. The, the gospel of Mark kicks off like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. So that's the Isaiah 43 reference. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight for him, paths for him. And so... John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He was a wild man. And this was his message. After, men comes me, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and, and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. First of all, you got to love John the Baptist's style. He was, trying to, he was single and he was trying to stay that way. So if that's your strategy, then go for that. Wear it for the camel's hair and eat locusts. Um, just do that. But according to the Old Testament, this was a prophetic word that John was giving. And he was telling people, get ready. The kingdom of God is here. And he was saying, what was he saying? He was saying, repent. And before you can accept the kingdom of God, before you can accept what God's done for us, that's the first step even today is we must turn from our old way of living. We must repent of our sins. If the thing about the good news about the gospel is that you first have to understand the bad news, is that you have sinned. The way you are going is not working. The, the, the way you are walking away from God doesn't work. And you have to repent. To repent means to turn. And you have to turn away from your old way of living to a new way, which is the kingdom of God and living with Jesus as the king in your life. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about choosing which way you're going. Repentance is not about perfection. It's about direction. So our response to this amazing reality that God wants to set us free from the slavery of sin is repentance. That's your blank. Following Christ out of slavery to sin and into the kingdom life he has called us to. Let's read this next passage. John said to the crowds, this is where John gets a little intense here. He said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. How would you like me to introduce my sermon like that? You know, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? 
Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what shall we do? He replied, do not exhort money and do not accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. That was a lot there. But I want you to find the phrase in the middle of that big thing of text. I want you to find the phrase, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I want you to underline that phrase. Underline that phrase. If you can find it, it's a lot of small text. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Simple question. What does that mean? What does it mean to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? And I'm actually going to challenge you guys. Turn into groups of two or three. We don't always do this. So if you don't feel comfortable talking, just say, I don't want to talk. And, uh, but two or three people. And let's discuss this. Here's your question. It should be on the screen um, or on your handout. It says, according to Luke 3, 7 through 14, what should repentance look like in a person's life? Okay, is it on your handout? Okay, go for it. All right. So I want to get a volunteer. Okay, let's get a volunteer. Anyone want to share some insights from what you guys discussed? Any bold man or woman that wants to share something? Solomon, you're a bold man. All right, so me and my group, we talked about how it's like kind of like a, th a three parts to it. Like you... Um, uh, you kind of like realize the lifestyle you're living and if it's sinful, you realize it and then you ask for forgiveness, um, you know, and say sorry to God. But then you also like, it's kind of like a 180 that you do. So like you're going forward in that lifestyle and then you turn around and then you go the opposite way of that lifestyle and you start a new lifestyle that's pleasing to God. Yeah, so it's a full turn, full send. Okay, yeah, then there's other direction. Anyone else? Anyone over here? Yeah, all right, I'm going to come to you. Let's go. Um, so we said that, uh, like recognizing that you're doing wrong is kind of like what Solomon said, like recognizing what you did wrong and then like, don't do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so like stop doing it and then keep not doing it. Right. Yes, that is exactly. Let's give him a hand. That was awesome. Yeah. It really is not that hard to understand. It's, it's not, a repentance is not the same as just simply confessing. It's not just, oh, I kind of feel sorry for this. I was watching uh, Pearl Harbor, unfortunately. Uh, my wife loves that movie, and so she makes me do things, okay, guys? <laughs> but there was a really sad quote in it. There was these girls, uh, the nurses, they, they were just coming out of chapel, and they said, I love to go confess and get my soul cleansed because I love to think about how I can dirty it up the next night. And I know that's kind of, but that honestly, that is the way a lot of people live. A lot of people live in a way where they just think, yeah, if I just kind of do something religious, if I just kind of say sorry for my sin, then it's all going to be fine. But do you understand like that just dishonors how amazing the grace of God is. Because if you truly understand the grace of God, you want to be different. Like, you want to be changed. You want to live a new way of life. And now, remember, you can be forgiven at any time. As a follower of Christ, you can be forgiven of any sin at any time. But repentance, true repentance, is a heart change that produces life change.
It's a heart change that produces life change. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So it's not just enough to confess. You must renounce. You got to say, I'm done with that. So there's some of us in here that I want to say, just like John the Baptist, I grew my beard beard out just for this. I want to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is available to you today. If you just repent, if you just give Jesus your life, if you turn from your old way and you say, Jesus, I want to live this new way, this different way of living with Christ as the king of your life. Jesus, his first message, and his, he traveled around preaching one message. Guess what it was? Mark 4, 17. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So I think I'm on pretty good grounds to tell you guys, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Now, repentance is not like the guys out on the street where they have the signs and they're yelling about hell and they're just super mean. Repentance is actually a gift from God. It's a grace from God. It is, it is a good thing, not a bad thing. Because what does it say? The kingdom of God is here. And when you step into the kingdom of God, you have Christ as your king. Jesus is king, right? Amen? Okay. Kanye would say it, yeah. It's about having a daily, moment-by-moment relationship with God. It's about being a royal member of God's family. So speaking of Kanye West, oh boy. He said, now I, no, this is really good. He said, now I'm in service to Christ. My My job is to spread the gospel, to let people know what Jesus has done for them. I've spread a lot of things. There was a time I was letting you know how high fashion has done for me. I was letting you know what the Hennessy had done for me. But now I'm letting you know what Jesus has done for me. And in that, I am no longer a slave. I am a son, a son of God. I'm free. That's the new exodus. That is a freedom that can only be found in Christ. And that is available to the worst sinner in this room. And the worst sinner in the world is you don't have to be a slave to whatever sin is holding you back. You can be free. Jesus wants to do a new exodus in your life. He wants to deliver you from the sins that you feel like you're just stuck in. So there's nothing too bad, no sin too great for the, for the grace of God. And as a follower of Christ too, you never outgrow this. You never outgrow the need for the grace of God. You never outgrow your, na- your need to repent. I repent daily, okay, because I sin daily. And I-, I spend time every day confessing my sin to God, turning from that sin, and then experiencing the new joy and peace of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther, he said this, he said, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, will the entire life of the believer be one of repentance? So the next thing I see in this passage is Jesus is the new covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. Luke three fifteen through 16, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. 
the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That is an amazing promise, is that Jesus is going to come and he is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He is going to do an amazing work in your life. And I find this interesting. The Jewish people were longing for a Messiah to come. They were looking for an earthly Messiah because they were under Roman occupation. And they were looking for a Messiah to come and take over and reinstitute the Israelites as a free country. But that's not what happened. And they were looking at maybe is John the Baptist. There was about 10 or so in the recent time period, there's about 10 like wannabe messiahs that were trying to start these revolutions. This was the context. And so people kept trying to put John the Baptist up or they kept trying to force Jesus into their messiah mold as this conquering, earthly conquering hero. And Jesus said this in John 18, 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And I love that. I think that's true. I think as a follower of Christ, we need to remember that our kingdom, our, our lives, our, we don't live for this world. We live for the next world. Let's go back to verse 16. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, that means that when you commit your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and changes your heart your, the, from the inside out to a completely new way of living, a new heart. He gives you a new heart. This was actually, again, prophesied in the Old Testament. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. So what the the Jewish people were hoping for was an earthly Messiah and an earthly, they were, they were hoping for, for this, this earthly Messiah. But Jesus said, no, like I'm going to be a heavenly Messiah. I'm going to come in, send my spirit to live inside of you, to change your heart and to change your life and to cause you to walk, want to walk with God and want to live for God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Before, in the Old Testament, you would go to the temple to worship. You would have to sacrifice animals to get your sins atoned for. And now, you are the temple. You are the temple where the Holy Spirit, God, one of the three persons of the Trinity, lives inside of you. That is amazing, amazing. Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles this glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's this amazing mystery that God comes and lives inside your heart. I I don't understand it. It's a mystery, but it's a glorious mystery. When you experience it, it changes everything about your life. It's amazing. I I actually find it really crazy that God 
would choose a sinner like me to be the temple of his Holy Spirit. Like, that doesn't sound right. And it wouldn't be if one thing, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, if Jesus didn't spill his blood for me. When Jesus died on the cross in my place, he cried out, his last words were, what were his last words? It is finished, which in Greek is to telestai. And I'm going to read you this little um, passage here from a book. It says, when a debt was owned in the first century, a certificate of the debt was made, much like the notice placed about Jesus's head. When the obligation was settled, it was officially resolved with a single Greek word placed upon the parchment's face to, to telestai. It meant complete, paid, finished, done. Archaeologists have unearthed ancient receipts that have been canceled out in this way by using testelestai or its abbreviation. Done, accomplished, paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin, he took the wrath of God, all of your sin, every sin you've ever committed, he took on himself. And he suffered the worst punishment imaginable. And he cried out in victory. He, said, he, he yelled out. In Mark it says he yelled. He cried out. It is finished. And he was declaring not only that all people on earth can be forgiven of their sins, but that Satan had lost. Okay? That, that, that it's over. The game, game over. Checkmate. Okay, this is over. And you know what else happened right at that moment? Is in Mark 27, 51, Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So in the temple at that time, there was this giant curtain. It puts this curtain to shame. It was 30 feet high and 30 feet long. And it was about this thick. And it separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the Holy of Holies was this holy place where, hence the name, and you could only go in there one time a year and you had to do it in just the right way. Hebrews 9, 7 says, but only the high priest entered the inner room that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins, for the sins of the people, the, the people had committed in ignorance. So it's an interesting one, never without blood, only once a year and never without blood. And people that, have tr that tried to go in without it, they would instantly die because God would say, no, this is, this is, I'm too holy for you to be here, not the right way. So that, what, the significance of that is that as soon as Jesus died, in that moment, that, that, that curtain ripped and the holiness of God the ability to connect with the holy God was made available instantly and available to every person on the planet. So when you, when you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are made holy before God, and you get to commune with God as if you were sitting and praying in the holy of holies. You don't have to go to, to, to the temple. Again, you don't have to go to the temple to worship you are the temple. As a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Isn't that good news? That is amazing news. Hebrews 9, 
It says this, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22. So again, Christ's blood is what paid for our sin. So our response to this is relate to God daily. Our response is relate to God daily and rely on the Holy Spirit to help you live in a way that honors God. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you and you can relate to him on a di- in an intimate way on a daily basis. And honestly, this is like the greatest thing, one of the greatest things about being a Christian. I love that my sins are forgiven, but I also love that I literally can talk to God and experience God every day in a real way. And he can guide me. He can lead me. And you can grow deeper in that. That's been the greatest adventure of my life is learning to connect with and grow deeper in walking in step with the Holy Spirit. So the last thing I see here is Jesus is the new conquest. Jesus is the new conquest. I was reading a book um, for seminary, and it was a relatively boring book, okay? But, but I came across this phrase, and I was like, full bra-jif, like right there. I was just like, whoa. Okay, it says, it's not without significance that John the Baptist chose to baptize in the Jordan River, for it was there that ancient Israel staged the conquest of Canaan. Indeed, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, records that some 10 um, would-be messianic movements gathered at the Jordan River for the purpose of invading Canaan again and riding Israel, ridding Israel of Roman occupation. I thought that was crazy. The Jordan River, of all the places for Jesus to start his ministry, was right where the Israelites crossed over into the Promised Land, right before they conquered the Promised Land. And I think that, I don't think Jesus knows, who thinks Jesus knows what he's doing? Okay, I think Jesus was kind of a bad, a bad guy, a, a boss, okay? He, and he, he was saying, he was saying to Satan, he was like, dude, I'm coming, okay? I, I'm, I'm, this is what, this world that you think you own, like, I am coming in hot, okay? I, I am coming to take over. And he got baptized, and then he went right out into the desert where he, defeated Satan's temptations. And then right after that, if you read the Gospels, he just starts casting out demons. And he starts saying, no, this is my world. This is my kingdom. My kingdom is here. And Satan has lost. Satan is a loser. He has, he has been defeated and he is just scrambling right now. And so when you're on Jesus's side, you're on the winning side. And you can be confident Actually, you don't have to be afraid of Satan. Like Satan can be afraid of us because we have Jesus inside of us. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Okay? And so we have Jesus. Satan and his demons, they, they tremble when they hear about Jesus. When they hear the name of Jesus, they shake in their boots because Jesus defeated Satan. And his conquest is to defeat Satan, but it's also to spread his love. Okay, so it's a conquest of defeating Satan and, and the demons, but it's also to spread his love. So actually, you guys are, are ready uh, for a little bit more. It's about five-minute video. Can you hang with me? Okay, it's a five-minute video about how Jesus did that, and I love it. It's from the Bible Project, so let's check it out for a minute. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. 
And everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, Avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean, this thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives even still today. But there is some hope because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve. That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next key moment in the story when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, 
Judah and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snake bite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus's power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. Hey, this is Tim. And this is John. We think one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to trace the key themes from its beginning all the way through to the end. We also make videos that walk through the literary structure of every book of the Bible and how it relates to the whole. Here's something you didn't know. John and I were roommates in college and we lived in the basement of a dirty old house. We're a nonprofit and we'd love to keep these videos free for everyone, but we need your help. You can go to jointhebibleproject.com and you can get full res versions of these videos. You can download the study guide. It's all for free. Jointhebibleproject.com. I love that. I love the way that explains what Jesus has done. I, I, I like that they made the snake big because the snake is big and evil is big and Satan is big. But you know what's even bigger? Jesus. Jesus just disintegrates. Jesus just destroys the works of Satan. And, and one day he will completely destroy evil and there will be a new life and a new will be in with God forever with him. So the way our response to this amazing truth is that Jesus is the conquering king is to join Jesus in his conquest of love by engaging in evangelism and missions, by taking people out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom, by helping people come to know Jesus, to, to learn this gospel, to experience this new life. And that's one of the greatest privileges of your entire life. So let's quickly recap. Jesus is the new exodus. So our response needs to be repentance. Jesus is the new covenant. Our response needs to be relate to him and rely on him every day. Of the whole, rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the new conquest. So we can be confident and we need to join Jesus on his mission of spreading his love to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Jesus, you are so worthy. You are so good. You did what seems impossible, but it was easy for you. You can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. And Jesus, you made a way for us to know you and to be right with God. And I pray that every, everyone in here 
would come to a place in their life that they believe you are who the Bible says you are and that they would truly repent. If you're in here tonight and you need to repent, you need to say, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian before, it doesn't matter anything about that. It just it means I, I, I want to challenge you. Say right now to Jesus, Jesus, I repent. I want to turn from my life, my old way of life. And I want to live for your kingdom. Just pray that to God in your own words, quietly. Those of you that are believers, I want you to think about, is there anything that you need to repent of so that you can experience the full kingdom life that Jesus wants for you? Jesus, you know our hearts, and we, you know that we can never perfectly live your way, but you can change our hearts. So I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would help us want to want you more and want to know you more and to turn from our old way of living and really understand more deeply these truths. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.